0: Welcome to the Business of Money. We're joined by Delphine governor from Perpetua. We've got uh, Mia Kruger, Kruger International, David Shapiro, Sassman Securities, and Lindsay Williams from strictlybusinesspodcast.com. Delphine, I'm going to throw to you off the bat here on Nuspass process. I know you've been keeping an, a keen eye on the situation. Give us the load up.
1: Well, um, this week Bronwyn was really all about um, the Chinese regulations and the the crackdown that actually happened last weekend in terms of the online tutoring space. and you know, very unprecedented, um, massively damaging business models for those businesses. But also, one of the components was um, kind of effectively de- declaring illegal, you know, foreign ownership of these entities through certain structures. And then that just threw a massive spotlight um, onto the Chinese tech companies, um, and obviously, particularly the likes of Tencent, Alibaba, and they. Um, and then the whole Chinese index or tech index took a massive um, hit this week. Um, and then we saw that translate directly through to Naspas and process. Uh, I think, you know, one of the most important points is that um, what came into kind of the high risk purview this week was that the structures in which um, the Tencent asset is owned is called a VIE, Variable Interest Entity, and it's, that's the only way the Chinese government, um, well, it's actually that uh, uh, certain industries are controlled in terms of foreign ownership, and this is the mechanism. It's effectively just a mechanism or a structure through which you own a Tencent asset uh, on the Hong Kong listing. Um, and the the legality of that structure has never been tested. And as a result, the Chinese government, as it showed last weekend, could effectively just declare a structure illegal, you know, at a stroke of a pen. And that's what happened. And, and unfortunately, what it's meant is that it's it's raised the regulatory risk again, around the certainty of access to those assets. In fact, NASPAs and process shareholders don't actually have access to the underlying assets in Tencent. They only really have access to the rights to the, of the profits and the dividends, etc. Mm-hmm. That's how the VIE structure work uh, works. So we had that happen in the course of the week. It doesn't, you know, damage cents business. Tencent's underlying business is still very much mainland China. That business model is largely intact. You know, it's really and 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 the Chinese uh, government needs those tech companies in terms of innovation. But it really started to bring into question um, the general risks uh, that exist when you invest in VIE structures, particularly Chinese tech.
2: David, I, I've just conducted an interview with a, a chap in Hong Kong for the last 45 minutes. And what came across, he, he, he's a Chinese gentleman uh, working for a Western asset manager, but based in Hong Kong. And I asked him to explain what has gone on when it started with Alibaba uh, and their pay platform and the cancellation of the listing and then going to DD and now going to the education companies. And what came across in his introduction, lengthy introduction, incidentally, is that we are way way apart, poles apart when it comes to the way that China looks at business and the way that the, for example, the United States looks at business and he explained the ideological philosophy of what has gone on and he also went to great pains to, to tell me that behind closed doors there was a meeting from the State Council of China and investment banks And although those details are not sketchy but certainly um, private, uh, it, it, just came, it just came to me that um, they have a one way of doing things and we have another way of doing things and hopefully there can be some meeting in the middle ground. But have you been scared, David, by what's happened recently?
3: I'm scared to a point. Look, China's a big economy. We can't ignore it. We can't ignore their purchasing power and we can't ignore Uh, what they add to global growth on an annual basis. You know, they add more than America. Even though America grows, you get more growth from China. Maybe not last year, but uh, still on an ongoing basis. And sooner or later, they will catch up with America. So we can't ignore that. They have a population of 1.3 billion people. The middle class is growing. They're spending... The, they you know, they part of the uh, purchases of LVMH and Caring and Hermes and all the luxury goods and not only that, commodities uh, and so on. So we can't ignore it. But I think you have to be very careful how you pay it and I think you have to moderate the extent to which you're exposed simply because of the risks. You want to know that your rights are protected by law. You don't want to forfeit. Those rights, because as Delphine said, at the stroke of a pen, they can uh, negate anything that you hold. And to me, that's the big risk. So I'm saying, by all means, go into China, but just moderate your risk. Keep it at a level that you're comfortable with. And I think, Lindsay, I think that's what we're seeing now. You're going to see a lot more fund managers over this weekend downgrading their exposure from overweight to neutral. And that's where there's going to be start seeing a little more selling on some of those companies.
0: Mia, how are you viewing uh, the, the situation? And will you be one of those fund managers uh, downgrading your weighting?
4: Well, I think the, the importance, as David and Delphine both explained beautifully, is the fact that uh, the, whole, the whole idea of shareholding up until now, that people thought they were all shareholder of, of shares in Tencent, etc., is actually all governed by contract. So you're not really, you don't really have many rights on that. And um, and it's like, you know, it puts you in a very difficult position. So the, we've seen how, how it's a, the markets realize it. I actually don't understand how the market only realized it now, as uh, all this information has been out in the open, you could have read all the contracts, how it works. But it seems like people, um, you know, prefer to just go with the herd. So, and in the case, as I explained uh, in a previous conversation, as well, is that uh, the fact that uh, both Nasdaq and price has still remain such a large part of our local, uh, our local boards. It actually has pulled back quite, quite a bit now, but it still is the dominant two shares in 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 the top 40. And um, and that makes it very very difficult for any fund manager in South Africa who's benchmarked against the uh, the, the index to really sell a lot of it, because if there's a bounce or a, a a recovery, they'll be far behind. So it makes it very difficult. Also, from all the tracker funds that's invested in these uh, in these uh, structures and in these uh, shares, it's it's the same story. They won't sell it because they follow the benchmark. So there are various things to consider. Yeah, we, as I've mentioned to you in the past, have a very broad diversification, but still, we do have a large exposure to to uh, to Nasdaq and protein. Is like most South Africans, there's really no South African with any investment that have no. I okay, there might be, but it, it's very <laughs> uncommon for investing in South Africa to have no exposure. I've got to ask Pete for you,
3: <laughs> I must ask Pete if he's yeah. got <laughs>
4: But if Pitt has any form of, uh, of, um, of pension fund that he's still exposed to in any way, he'd probably still have a, uh, some exposure to it, unfortunately. <laughs> I know he wouldn't want it. But yeah, that's the reality of the fact, unfortunately. So we'll have to see how this plays out. An interesting uh, other view that I made, just comment on before um, handing over to Lindsay, is the fact that I read a very interesting remark Uh, from some fund managers based in China and their view being Chinese is very different to the Western view on all these regulations being imposed. So the Western media, which is everything we all read mostly, um, is is much uh, more critical in terms of how the government acts, what the government does. But most people within China are part of the middle class which David alluded to has grown and has been strengthened in terms of financial well-being over the past couple of years and they are very happy with what the government does. Most of them are supporters of the Chinese Communist Party. And in, um, in, in, in the Chinese Communist Party, doing many things that benefit the majority of people in China, obviously, they have their own agenda as well. But uh, it's quite interesting for me to read those uh, commentaries coming directly out of China instead of from from Western media. And then just the last thing is that um, Delphine referred to, you don't really only have exposure to China. You don't have to take exposure to China only through VIE structures. You can actually go in various other companies that's not controlled by VIE structures and, and get exposure in that way. And I think that's sort of where uh, most people will be starting to look now. Tech was obviously in the front and easy to, to follow for everyone. It's talked about everywhere. You can find a lot of information on it. The rest is not that easy.
2: Wouldn't it be fantastic if South Africa could actually be as serious about educating young people as China is? I mean, it's the the first foundation of the future development of a country to have people that are educated. But that's another story. And while we're on tech, let's stay with tech and uh, go to big tech in the United States of America. Because these numbers have been unbelievable, Delphine. Last night, okay, Amazon, uh, I think they grew their earnings by 26%. Uh, Compared to last year and they uh, warned that this growth can't continue because apparently people like David Shapiro are going out uh, and and buying stuff from shops because he likes to mix with people and annoy them. Uh, But uh, more seriously, there is now going to be a a withdrawal of people shopping online because they want to go out. And mingle, um, but when you when you see these numbers, Delphine, what is your attitude? Do You say, well, it's already baked into the price, or and there might be a little bit of, sell, of a sell off, but I'm a lurking buyer. What's your approach? to that? Yeah,
1: look, I think uh, you know there's there's really two um, there's two points to that to that answer. The first is. Um, The market reacted because, you know, the very bullish narrative um, that's been really belying kind of the short-term sentiment and the share price, Um, you know... just completely common sense as even if we had to have a conversation perhaps with take a lot in south africa has had kind of stupendous you know growth rates um because of of lockdown etc and, and and just the volumes through e-commerce um the narrative as one would expect common sense from from amazon is uh we can't maintain these these rates of growth you know because people are obviously you know doing you know offline shopping as well um so that's the narrative that affects the, the, the short-term kind of sentiment into the share price. I mean, the longer term, you know, the, the real question about do you use these opportunities to invest for the long term? And I think perhaps the best investors in businesses like Amazon are the ones that just never sold their shares because they've just actually just compounded and compounded and compounded. And so you really have to, um, and there's going to be a cohort of shares, I guess, and businesses in your portfolio that perhaps, you know, as, as Buffett says, if you lock up the stock market, you know, or shut down the stock market for, for 10 years and you come back in a decade, they, they're, going be, they're going to be bigger businesses. And I think Amazon's one of those businesses that has sat and will continue to sit squarely in that category. It has a moat. It has a wide moat and it has an enduring and and a moat, importantly, that it can expand um, because of its ability to, to aggregate. a few of the other companies we're seeing are having struggles to maintain their moats they're being disrupted um i think at the margin they will always be and and it's interesting because big techs actually cannibalizing each other once you've taken out kind of the, the the mainstream status quo offline traditional competition then you start eating each other's lunch so the most likely competition you know for and Amazon is likely to come, you know, from whether it's Google or you know Alphabet, etc., or or Facebook or Instagram, etc. So you tend to find that that will be where their challenge lies. Um, I personally don't own Amazon. Obviously, it's a big regret. It was one of those errors of omission. Um, mm-hmm. But at the same time um, i'm I would be surprised if the business was didn't compound just at the rate of growth it simply cannot maintain its rate of growth none of big tech will be able to just because of their share the the vast i mean I think those those five top five companies account for you know twenty five percent or twenty three percent of the profits of the whole s p which means you know there's four hundred and ninety five shares that account for the race so you tend to find that just probabilistically, there's better value on a short-term basis in some of those stocks outside of big tech, but they have a massive moat.
0: Let's build on this conversation. And and bearing in mind, uh, Mia and David, uh, our other audiences are not the same audiences as today. So don't feel as though you are repeating yourselves. I want to build to the the tech portfolio, David, that uh, you are currently alluding to. And those are the A's in the, um, the Alphabet, and so,
3: so let's go there. <laughs> you asked us, what's my favorite stock? And I said, okay, well, let's start with A's. Let's start with <laughs> Adobe, and then we go on to Amazon, and then we go on to Alphabet, and we go on to ASML, which is still my best company, which is the Iron uh, business that, that makes the machines that make the chips. And uh, the other one is a payment company in, in Holland as well called A D Y E N. But what you which is a, a wonderful platform that's growing uh in, in the payment segment. So I'm saying that's on the A's. You know, I said next week we'll do the B's. Where, just to take Delphine's point further, how do you, no matter how big that motor is, you've got to maintain it. And this is where the answer lies. When you look at businesses, and I've mentioned this point before, look at the R and D. Look what they hold back to reinvest. And look where they're going. When Zuckerberg was attacked the other day on Facebook uh, about slowing down advertising because of the same problem that Amazon is facing, you know, he he highlighted where else they're going, where they're looking for the the uh, cannibalization is taking place because he wants to go into e-commerce as well. But look at those businesses; they've got the might and power, you know, to continue mm-hmm. growing into new segments as well. So don't dismiss them because they happen to miss. Uh, on guidance or they, they're lowering their guidance for the reasons that we've discussed. So I still think that you've got to have a, a fair choice of, of, of tech in a portfolio. I'm
2: going to stick with the A theme, please, David, mm-hmm. and I'll put this to Mia now. And well, I've, I've got, got two A's. A's. And it's not uh, the Automobile Association or Alcoholics Anonymous. It's Anglo American <laughs> PLC. Blockbuster numbers coming out of a company that is not all within the bounds of uh, South Africa's borders, but certainly still very much associated with South Africa. And they really came out with spectacular numbers. And they're behaving responsibly. They're paying dividends, and they're making hay while the sun shines, Mere.
4: Yes, no, I mean, and they are big supporters of our president, so that was very interesting also this week, coming out uh, supporting South Africa, saying that they will be investing money in South Africa, and that they want to be part of a turnaround in the country, after what we saw two weeks ago. Uh, so that I found positive as well. They did really do what David always say, he hopes mining companies will do, and that's pay out a lot of the money that they made. It was about a third of the money that they they uh, they made in profits that they are paying out in dividends, a special dividend, a normal dividend, and they're buying back some shares. So they're really uh, doing good to to the shareholders. Not only uh, you know investing a lot of money into into mines in South Africa, but uh, you know I think if you consider the underlying trend, the fact that we all know this is cyclical, we know that the government in South Africa has used the the this uh, profit that they haven't uh, you know they haven't bargained on as a, as a windfall to pay a 350 rand grant now to people unfortunately the reality is how how this helps south africa now is not going to be there to help us uh through all times in the future we know that commodity prices are cyclical so but that's a whole other conversation on on, on the economical side in south africa to get back to the to uh, to the commodity companies and mining companies in South Africa, I found it also particularly uh, interesting how the beers came out, and they mentioned that they had very strong demand uh, from from the U.S. and from China, and that just plays into the theme that we've also discussed alongside tech now for a while uh, of luxury goods and how people are spending a lot of money on luxury goods, and how when Richmond came out with the first numbers, they just showed us that, and the beers now being part of that stable showed us uh, that the trend is real um, and that there's a very strong recovery in luxury good companies as well. So mining luxury goods, uh, I'm I'm sure they they really play into each other's hands, but um, interesting to see how they go together really so fast.
0: I'm mindful of the time. We need to move to stocks of interest. I'm going to open up here with uh, Delphine. Uh, Lindsay, you can pick up as we drive stocks of interest around the table.
2: Thank you. Delphine, over to you.
1: Yeah, so I think what's been interesting in this last uh, two weeks is obviously following you know the the riots and the violent riots in um, in in Durban, particularly KZN. Uh, a lot of monitoring, you know, resets on on some of those cyclical companies that would have been affected, particularly obviously the property companies. We saw them kind of take a smack in the middle of the month. Um, some of the retailers that were particularly exposed, so the likes of Massmart, um, you know, some of the other um, food retailers, etc., and then. Um, obviously just, you know, just general consumer facing companies. And then obviously this week, we also saw uh, Tiger Brands, unfortunately, with, you know, some issues with, um, you know, faulty packaging and a massive recall on their Q product. So for me, I think what's been of interest are um, particularly some of the the, the retailers and some of the banks. Um, It's largely driven by, you know, again, you have to separate the fact that, um, it's fantastic that we need to see more companies like Anglo that Mia referred to coming through to really support the structural changes we need to see in this economy, particularly that we saw surfaced. And, and perhaps some, you know, the scariest reality in South Africa is our, our, our inequality. Um, so we have the wealthiest 3,500 people in South Africa. That's only 3,500 people that command wealth that is more than 32 million people. Now, there's nowhere else in the world that that sort of extreme reality exists and so as we look through um you know we we talk about investing in retailers and consumer stocks and banks but if we don't have the majority of the population economically active able you know in gainful employment particularly the youth what is the long-term true prognosis for the business cases of retailers or consumer companies etc you know we can talk um, with much more optimism about Amazon, et etc., because we can see kind of long-term, you know, structural trends. The hard part in South Africa is how do you, how can I sit here today with a high level of optimism, telling you put, put, you know, put your money in South African retailers for ten years when they're majority, you know, predominantly domestically oriented to a domestic consumer. Um, and so we do to take that long-term view. You really do need to have um, a, a high level of belief and conviction that we're going to see execution on the actions and the policies that belie economic you know, reconstruction and recovery. On the short-term view, however, we're investors. And one thing we've discovered is that actually, or we know through kind of reality, is that um, GDP growth and stock market performance is actually not as causally connected as one would believe. In fact, it's corporate earnings growth. And so what we're seeing for the next year or two is that in that cohort of companies, the retailers, so MassMart and Truett's, largely because of, of this reason, not because I think there's a 10-year story, but because I think there's an earnings recovery story coming that the market's not pricing.
2: Jolly good. Uh, Mia, you've chosen, uh, as far as I can remember, in the past, Nike and Starbucks, um, aspirational brands to, to certain people. What have you got this week?
0: And Apple, you can't f- leave Apple out of the equation. She also chose Apple. Oh,
2: David's the Apple man. He's going to the big Apple, so he's the Apple buyer. So let's uh, let's stick with the, <laughs> the two I just mentioned. But what have you have you have you got a real company this week?
4: thought I would be able to stick with the A theme and say i um, a lot about Apple again, but you all know how much I, uh, I, I like the company and how uh, strong the company is. So I can leave that for over a couple of months. We can revisit that. But with the A theme, it's not only uh, Amazon and where we saw Amazon uh, come out last night, slightly disappointed on the revenue side. I'm going to talk about Amazon and about Microsoft. Uh, they really showed us that cloud computing worldwide is booming. Uh, we, we saw the uh, Amazon Web Services grow by 37% over the last quarter, much stronger than what we see for the rest of the business. Their whole other business, which is only a small part really of their business, grew by 87%. That's their services, advertising and uh, web services, which is the the cloud computing. And then when we look at the Microsoft Azure, we saw the same story. Microsoft Azure is one of, also one of the strongest players in the market. And they, um, they grew their web services by 30% over the last quarter. So those two areas, part of that moat that Alphine and, and uh, David alluded to, that is still the growing parts of the moat. And um, those are the sorts of things that we need to pay attention to and look at. And that's also A for advertising is where, uh, where Google came in and they made a lot of money on advertising because people spend more time on YouTube, more time online and people like, uh, like to be, well, these companies benefit a lot from these advertising campaigns that they run and that's what really the business model of Google and, um, and YouTube. So I think I've covered a couple there.
2: David, I hope that Mia hasn't stolen your thunder there and you've got something to think, you <laughs> No, going to I, 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 I'm going to go from one extreme to the other. Um, I, you
3: know, my heart lies in, in tech and, and growth companies, but uh, I make a habit of trying to go through every set of results that comes through on the JSC um, and, you know, of course, overseas. Is, uh, and, and this week, you've got to look at the junior miners. I mean, mm. we have to look mm. at how these companies have swung around from wildly negative to grossly positive you know not the anglos or kumbas and that but if you look at a company like marafi which we have just basically dismissed i mean it's a non-existent uh, company that that really is nothing more than owns a joint venture in a ferrochrome business with with uh, with uh, glencore and i mean their earnings are staggering and the amount of cash on their balance sheet makes up about 30 or 40 percent of their share price and i looked at arsenal middle as well and uh you know, it's it's the share price has gone up dramatically. I've got to spend a lot more time going through steel production. Uh, but I saw two hundred and twenty-three earnings and for a share price, and that was half year, that's trading at six or seven Rand. Now I might have got the decimal point wrong. I am an accountant, but sometimes I do put the decimal point in the wrong place and I might have got it completely
2: wrong. No, I wonder some of these companies had so many problems when you were auditing them in the past, David. But never, never mind. <laughs> Sorry. I say, no wonder so many companies had problems when you were auditing them. <laughs> yeah, uh, no. it, it, the point in the wrong place. You've been and the anyway, sorry. Uh, yeah. no, but
3: but but the point being is that I think we've underestimated what the impact's going to be on the mining segment. A lot of these companies are not, you know, a lot of mining companies are not listed. that. So, um, I'm, I'm with Delphine and Mira, and I must thank them for participating next week. In something that uh, Leila Faria is organizing, or I got her to organize, which is uh, a seminar just to share our views with you know with people with with younger investors, et cetera, and the theme that i'm focusing on is around mining and the companies that are going to benefit from it, and I think this is something that is that can be very useful for young investors or you know people who like to uh, you know who like to manage their own portfolios
0: what, but, what so your particular stock of interest for this show
3: well i, I don't want to say uh, i'll say marafi but um i think it's more a segment you know the more the junior miners that i'm going to uh, focus on there was a there's a mine called AlphaMan. And when the chap came to promote this tin mine somewhere in the drc you know we all were very cynical but i mean you must have a look at the profits they they're making and i thought that tin was used to make coup cans you know for tiger brands but it isn't it's used for uh, it's used for, for soldering in the uh in the electronics industry and i mean it's just going through the roof so so oh, just just for fun have a look at some of these companies yeah
2: It's an unusual U-turn for David Shapiro, Bronwyn, because normally he ignores commodity companies because he doesn't understand um, or has has claims not to understand, let me qualify that, the the cyclicality of commodities and it's out of his control. But he's suddenly coming around to this. And I think that's very interesting. The smaller companies that are not covered by the big big asset managers, um, but maybe should be looked at by retail investors. Bronwyn, can you wrap up the show this week? Sure.
0: Although I'm not going to come with the, the quirky outros, Lindsay Williams, Strictly Business David Shapiro, Sassman Securities, Mia Kruger, Kruger International, and Dolphin Governor from Perpetua. Thank you very much for joining us on The Business of Money.